And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Well, I'm going to tell you about old Joe. By his own admission, he was not a religious man. He'd never gone to church. He had lived a pretty wild life. He drank way too much. He gambled a lot. He swore without even thinking about it. Uh, And he was not above lying and cheating if it was to his advantage. You know anybody like that? He thought that Christians were just missing out on all the fun in life. He never thought much about God. Not until recently, that is. Joe had retired. He was looking forward to doing a lot of fishing. Uh, He had been having some stomach troubles, though. Probably too much beer is what he thought. But then the doctor's report came back, of course, and it was cancer. It had spread to several organs, and there wasn't really anything they could do. Joe might have six months to live, probably less. Well, Joe had a nephew who was a Christian, and one day his nephew's pastor visited Joe there in the hospital and talked to him about spiritual things. And for the first time in his life, Joe actually listened with interest. What the pastor was saying seemed to make sense. It dawned on Joe that he had lived his whole life in a selfish and sinful manner. manner. He knew that if he died, that he would face God's judgment. Uh, But the pastor said that Jesus Christ had died on the cross to pay the penalty that Joe deserved. And he offered forgiveness of sins and eternal life as a free gift to Joe if he would simply receive it. And sure enough, Joe prayed to receive Christ. He died in peace shortly after, a deathbed conversion. Whenever we hear stories like that, uh, on the one hand, we're glad, we're hopeful, But we always have the nagging question kind of in the back of our mind, was Joe's conversion real? Was he truly saved? Can a person live his entire life in sin and then get saved at the very last moment? Are deathbed conversions possible? That's the bottom line question. Now, of course, we can never know the heart of an individual. Paul tells us there in 1 Corinthians 2 that only the person and God know (laughs) what's in his heart. We can look for evidence of conversion, but what's the problem? On a deathbed conversion, it's not very often that they're going to live very long. So they can't, it's hard to find true evidence of conversion. So we might be inclined to doubt the possibility of deathbed conversions and actually give up on sharing the gospel with people like Joe who are about to die. Now to calm our doubts and to encourage us to share the gospel with those on the brink of death, the Bible includes a story of a genuine deathbed um, conversion. That's what John read about a minute ago. The dying thief on the cross asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom and Christ assured him that he would be with him that very day. Now this story has much to teach us not only about deathbed conversions, which we're going to be talking about, but about conversions in general. So the main thought is that by God's grace, deathbed conversions are possible for any sinner who will repent and trust in Christ. Let's 
open up with a word of prayer here. Father, we come before you bowing the knee once again, understanding that uh, we need your help. Father, we, we see through human eyes, even us who are believers, we are tainted. And so God, I pray that you would take off any um, scales from our eyes, any preconceptions, uh, preconceived ideas that we have concerning salvation and deathbed conversions and such things, and that you would show us, Father, that yes, it is possible through repentance and faith, and that we may even, even need to do that today ourselves. So God, speak that truth in our hearts and we'll give you praise and glory for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. John Calvin remarks, there is no room to doubt that Christ is prepared to admit into his kingdom all without exception who shall apply to him. So number one, salvation is always by God's grace apart from any human works. This is a basic tenet that you're going to hear throughout Christianity. One reason that we struggle with deathbed conversions is that we erroneously think that uh, the salvation is linked somehow to human works. Think about Joe. Let's say old Joe had a wife named Mary. She's a sweet lady, a kind lady, went to church almost every week of her life. She was nice to everyone. She thought that all good people would go to heaven no matter what they believed. And if you ask Mary why God should let her into heaven when she died, she would tell you that she had tried her best to live a good life. She had never hurt anyone intentionally. She believed in God and she went to church. Now, according to the Bible, Mary, who lived a good religious life, would die and go to hell. Her husband, Joe, who had lived a wicked, irreligious life, but who repented and believed in Christ on his deathbed, would die and go to heaven. Now, some might be inclined to say, wait, that's not fair. Well, guess what? The second you think that, you reveal that you do not Understand God's grace. You're still clinging to salvation by human works. But the Bible repeat, repeatedly proclaims that we are saved by God's grace alone, not by any works or merit of our own. Those who try to add works to the, their salvation actually deny the gospel, and they come under God's condemnation. Now, Jesus has a parable that kind of explains this in Matthew chapter 20. A landowner, 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 excuse me, <laughs> went out, words are hard, right, Tyler? Went out early in the morning and he hired some workers for his vineyard. These are day laborers, right? Uh, and he agreed to pay them a, a, a fair day's wage. Later in the morning, he saw some others there uh, just hanging out, loitering kind of, and so he hired them. Uh, then he went around noon and mid-afternoon and did the same thing. And finally, at about 5 o'clock, he's coming back through the market, and there's some other folks, so he hires them, tells them to come, I'll pay you. Well, sure enough, when the evening came, which was like 6, he paid all the workers the same, a full day's wage. What do you think the workers who had been there all day, as they say, bearing the heat of the day, they were complaining Man, they grumbled because these men, they had only worked one hour and they got the exact same pay. But the landowner said, hey, listen, I paid you what we agreed on, didn't I? 
If I want to be generous to this last group, that's, that's my thing. I can do that. I can do whatever I want to, with that which is mine. If I want to be generous, I can be generous. Now, Jesus was teaching that salvation is by God's free grace. It's not based on man's merit or works. If God wants to, dis to dispense it to someone that we think is unworthy, that's his business. In God's sight, guess what? We're all unworthy. No one has a valid claim against God. If before they were born, he chooses to love the conniving Jacob, but to hate the nice guy Esau so that his purpose according to election might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. That's what Paul says, Romans 9 there. That's God's prerogative. If he chooses to be gracious to a thief just before he dies and to leave a, a religious Pharisee to die and face judgment for his pride and his self-righteousness, that is God's prerogative. We have, have to get rid of the proud notion that salvation depends on even the least amount of human merit, effort, or good works. Think about it. How much could this, how much could this thief do to earn some merit at this point? <laughs> he couldn't clean up his life. He couldn't promise to do better in the future. He had no future. He had made a complete mess on, of his life, and, and now he found himself dying on the cross. He had nothing to argue, nothing to promise, nothing to bring to Christ as collateral for his salvation. He simply asked for something he did not deserve. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus granted his request without any strings attached. Now, here's one of the most important things I'm going to say this morning. Hear it. If you've lived a good life, you are not an inch closer to heaven than the thief who has lived a wicked life. That's hard for us to swallow, but it's what the Bible teaches. In fact, you actually may have more trouble trusting in Christ alone because your good works fill you with pride and self-righteousness. You don't see your need as much as the thief might. God's salvation is always given in one way and one way only, by His free grace, totally apart from any human merit. And why? Well, that way, as Paul tells us, no one can boast. So number two, salvation is received through um, repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you may not have, no, not have noticed, but both criminals, criminals asked Jesus to save them. He ignored the request of the first, but granted the, the request of the second. Why the difference? Well, the first thief did not ask in repentance and faith, while the second thief did. That first thief, he was angry. He was bitter. He, he was railing against Jesus. He didn't face up to his own sin. You notice Jesus didn't even try to witness to him. He let him die in the hardness of his heart. The second thief was repentant, subdued, and trusting. Jesus graciously granted his request and assured him that he would be with him that day in paradise. Now, the two radically different responses show us that not all that come into contact with Christ respond favorably. 
In fact, some are hardened by the very same message that softens others. The difference doesn't originate in the human heart, but in God's grace. Sinful people are not capable of exercising repentance and faith by their own free will. The fallen human will, as John Wesley notes in one of his hymns, is fast bound in sin and nature's night. Paul tells us us in Romans 8 that the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, unable to subject, subject itself to God's law and unable to please God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul tells us the natural man cannot understand the things of God because Satan has blinded his mind to the gospel. So God must graciously grant both repentance and faith. So I want to talk about them. Let's talk about repentance first. A, A, repentance involves admitting your own guilt and turning from your sin. Now, both Matthew 27 and Mark 15 state that both robbers were casting insults at Jesus. Now, Luke alone mentions the conversion of the one robber. It's really inconceivable that a careful historian like Luke would uh, have concocted this story to make a point, although that's what liberals, that's what they assert. I think that at first, both robbers railed against Jesus. Yes, when they first came on, they were both railing. Perhaps the second robber was wrongly led along by the first, kind of as he had been earlier in his life of crime. But as he watched Jesus' demeanor on the cross, as he heard no curses or threats come out of Jesus' mouth, as he heard Jesus pray for forgiveness for his persecutors, he began to be convicted of his own sin. He saw in his, his own sin in contrast to Jesus' clear innocence. He stopped joining the other thief in mocking Jesus. The more he heard the other thief continue his blasphemous taunts, the more it bothered him. He finally spoke out in defense of Jesus, admitting his own guilt. He turned from his sin. That's repentance. A repentant person stops blaming God and others for his problems, and he he admits his own guilt, his own sin. The repentant thief wasn't blaming the system, his parents, or his environment. He admitted that he was getting what he deserved for his wrongdoing. Before that day, that thief could steal and shrug it off. He, He probably excused it by saying that he just couldn't help it. Whereas before he didn't fear God or even think about God's judgment, now he did. That's repentance. Owning up to your own sin and turning from it because you now fear God. One of the most difficult sins to repent of is the sin of trusting in your own good works. But to bring your own merit or, or good deeds is an affront to God. Think about what he's done. He gave his own son as the only necessary satisfaction for his wrath against sin. It detracts from his free grace to add your works to it. It's as if the death of Christ was not sufficient. Uh, you have to come to the same place this robber was admitting that you justly deserve God's judgment for your sins. Do you remember what happened to David when Nathan finally confronted him about Bathsheba and Uriah? Nathan's part's pretty long. 
David says uh, th- either two or three words in the Hebrew, I have sinned against God. He owned up to it. That's repentance. Then he wrote Psalm 51. If you want to know what repentance is all about, read Psalm 51, please. Perhaps you're thinking, now, wait a minute, I may not be perfect. I have my share of faults, but I'm not in the same league as this robber, but according to A.W. Pink, you are, because we are all robbers of God. And you ask, well, how is that so? Well, not one of us has used the gifts, the talents, the resources that God has so graciously given us to the best of our abilities. We've certainly not used them all for His glory. Even as believers, we all fall far short of God's best for us. So every person whether outwardly, outwardly good or evil, must repent. But repentance is never alone. It's always the flip side of the coin with faith. So you've got repentance and faith. They're always bound up together. So B, let's talk about faith. Faith involves casting yourself on Jesus Christ and His mercy. This thief's only hope was Jesus Christ. There he is on the cross dying. There's nothing else he can do but call out to Jesus. If Jesus were not coming into a kingdom, if Jesus didn't have the ability or the power to do anything for this dying thief, then his hopes would be shattered. The other thief probably scoffed in disgust at the stupidity of his partner in crime. Jesus hardly looked the part of a king, even though the sign over his head said, hey, king of the Jews. He was a badly wounded, dying man in obvious physical pain. His persecutors were taunting him, and he didn't seem to be able to do anything about it. He certainly didn't look the part of a Jewish Messiah. But the second thief, he looked at Jesus with eyes of faith. He placed all his hopes for eternity on Jesus. That is saving faith. Now again, John Calvin remarks that since the creation of the world, there's not been a more remarkable and striking example of faith than this thief. He adored Christ as king while on the gallows. He celebrated his kingdom in the midst of shocking and worse than revolting abasement. He declared him when dying to be the author of life. He beheld life and death, exaltation in ruin glory in shame, victory in destruction, a kingdom in bondage. In short, the thief relied on the grace of Christ alone, end quote. You know what? We must be that way as well. We'll see, saving faith must be in the person of Jesus Christ. We don't know whether this man had heard anything about Jesus before this day. We're not told whether these few words were the only conversation between them on the cross or whether this is just a condensed version of a more, I don't know, extended conversation. Certainly this thief could not expound it on the two natures of Jesus. He wouldn't have understood that. He may not have even understood that he was God. But he could see that Jesus was no ordinary man. He knew enough about Jesus to hope that he would be merciful to him in the life to come. Now, a sinner doesn't have to be a knowledgeable theologian to have saving faith in Jesus Christ, but he must know something about the person and the work of Christ. This thief knew that Jesus was an innocent man. That's what he told thief number one. 
You see, a sinner cannot bear the sins of others because he's got to bear his own sins. So Jesus was our sinless substitute. Remember John the Baptist, John 129? Behold, the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. The thief knew that Jesus was truly a king, even though he was rejected by the people at large. So he submitted to Jesus' rightful sovereignty. He knew that Jesus would triumph over the grave and come again in his kingdom. He knew that Jesus was ready and able to save any who would call upon him, or else he wouldn't have asked Jesus to remember him when he came in his kingdom. The point is, faith is not a general belief in God. It's not closing your eyes and taking a leap in the dark. It's not believing in God however you conceive him to be. That's what we typically do as humans. God creates us in our image. We recreate God in our image. How foolish. Faith must be in the Jesus revealed in Scripture, not in the Jesus of a person's imagination or liking. Faith must be in the Lord Jesus Christ who offered himself in the place of sinners. So people need some knowledge of what Scripture says before they can believe unto salvation. So encourage people that you're talking to Jesus about to actually read the Bible. When a sinner's eyes are opened and he sees something of who Jesus is and trusts in him, God pours out his mercy on him. Well, number three, salvation is granted instantly, freely, and abundantly. Now, believe it or not, this thief was having a good day. He received instantly and without condition far more than he had hoped for. He asked to be remembered in the future. Remember me when you come again in your kingdom. What does Jesus say? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. He asked merely to be remembered, probably in the sense of his getting in the gate of the kingdom. And what does Jesus tell him? You're going to be with me today. He asked not knowing what kind of response he would get. Jesus assures him, truly, I say to you. It's incredible. It's a good day. <laughs> that is a good day. It, that would be a good way to die, to have Jesus say, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Now, please note that, that Jesus did not prescribe uh, a course of penance for this guilty man. Penance is, again, based on human works not God's free grace. Jesus promised the robber eternal life apart from anything the man did or promised to do. Notice also that what Christ promised the robber did not alleviate his present suffering. The soldiers didn't come and take him down and nurse his wounds. Jesus didn't heal him or shield him from ongoing pain. Even so, when a sinner comes to salvation, God does not remove all his afflictions in life, but he does promise something better, namely paradise with him throughout eternity. Now, we've seen that salvation is freely offered um, to any sinner who will repent and trust in Jesus Christ. Question is, is it ever too late? This gets back to old Joe. So number four, salvation is available to any sinner right up to the point of death. Now, after death, there is no chance of salvation. It's done. But before then, God can save him even if he has a history of notorious sin. Um, my mind's going blank. It's right there. 
Jeffrey Dahmer. What do you think of when we think of Jeffrey oh Dahmer? Don't tell me, but you know what you think of when you hear the, the word Jeffrey Dahmer if you know what he did. I read that shortly before he died, he professed faith in Jesus. That's, that's kind of about as bad as it gets, right? We'll, we'll see when we get to heaven. So if that's the case, the question comes up, why not plan on a deathbed conversion? Why not enjoy the, the pleasures of sin now, but, but turn to God at the last moment? And there are reasons why this is not a wise plan. If you reject the light that you have now, your heart is going to be uh, just hardened toward the gospel later. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that Esau sought for repentance with tears, but could not find it. He was hard-hearted. Your heart does not remain neutral throughout life. If you hear the gospel but reject it, your heart grows more callous towards the things of God. It's also been pointed out that this, this thief didn't hear the gospel of all, all of his life and then finally opened his heart to it just before he died. This was probably his first encounter with Jesus and he grabbed it with all of his might. A life of selfish, sinful living does not bring joy either presently or in, the, in eternity. Sin offers certain pleasures at the moment. We can't deny that. Bible tells us that, that it's pleasure, that, you know, for a season. But it always takes a devastating toll on the person. Numerous illicit sexual encounters, drugs and alcohol, and many such other things, they give a momentary high or kind of a cushion from uh, life's problems, but they devastate those who are enslaved by them. And you know, it's not only vices that can do that. Did you know it's good things that can become a vice in your life? Whether it's entertainment, golf, hunting, fishing, your family, anything that takes the place priority over God, you have actually put on a little pedestal God calls that an idol, all right? We need to watch out for that. So it's not just these awful vices. Only a life lived in submission to God brings solid joys and lasting pleasure. Here's another, here's something else you need to think. Not all dying people have an opportunity to repent. Not everyone has adequate warning that death is just ahead. There are young people here today that will step into eternity sooner than those advanced in years. Some here in good health will die before others who are in poor health. The fact is, we're all dying people. And unless we repent now, we may easily perish. A wise Puritan once wrote, we have one account of a deathbed conversion that's referring to this thief, a deathbed repentance. We have one account of a deathbed repentance in order that no man need despair. We have only one in order that no man may presume. By all means, share Christ with those on their deathbeds in hopes that God, by His grace, will save them. 
But also, by all means, make sure that you do not presume on God's grace by putting off repentance and faith in Christ for another time. Guess what? You may not have that opportunity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so grateful for the truth of your word. Lord, it leads us in those paths of righteousness. And, and Father, we see uh, in your word our need of salvation. And Father, we bless your name for giving us the remedy in your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, if there's anybody out there today that doesn't know you through your son, Jesus, I pray that you would uh, remove their heart of stone, that you would give them a heart of flesh. Father, one that is responsive to you, that now sees you, understands their sinfulness. Father, the fact that they are separated from you and that Jesus is the only way to be reconciled. So, God, do that work and we'll give you praise and glory for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, where are you at this morning? Uh, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you're kind of like that thief. I hope that you understand that, yes, it's your sin. that it's, Sin has separated all of us from God. Many in here have been reconciled with Christ. We have been made new in Christ, okay? That's through repentance and faith. Maybe you haven't done that. I encourage you to do it today. If you, if you hear something inside of you saying, hey, listen, <laughs> Don't run from this, run to it. That's the Holy Spirit. He's just kind of knocking, getting your attention, all right? Paul says today is the day of salvation. You come, you share with me what God is doing in your heart at this moment. We'll sit down, we'll pray about it, we'll look into Scripture and see what God says about how to be saved, what repentance and faith is all about. If you're a believer, uh, I hope that you can just praise God and and, and then then you have already had Jesus say to you, maybe not today because you're not going to die today, but yes, you're going to be with Jesus in paradise come one day because you know Jesus Christ. This is a great day just to praise Him and say thank you once again. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.